Welcome to That Britney Podcast with your hostesses, Erin and Casey. We're so excited to talk about all things Britney and Britney adjacent, beginning with her new memoir, The Woman in Me. Let's start off with your initial thoughts on the actual physical book. What do you think of the cover? Okay, so I love the cover. Um, My initial thought was that I love that it is like simple, it's minimalistic, which I think lends it to be timeless. But ironically, the picture that is on the front of the cover of the book is so old. It is not a current photo of her, which I think is an interesting choice. Could not agree more. And I want to circle back to that in a second. So along the topic of cover image, let's talk about the image he chose for the inside cover, this tour photo. What do you think? So I kind the first time I opened the book, I somewhat glanced past it. I was like, oh, that's cool that there's a picture of her in there, but I didn't really look at it. I just think I was ready to get into the meat and potatoes right away. But looking at it, I absolutely love this photo. I just am struggling a little bit with her costume choice. Well, I mean, I know that this, again, is not current. So I'm not going to like blame her on fashions of the past. However, I'm like, oh, God, that's so early 2000s. This image is from her Dream Within a Dream tour, and we don't want to jump ahead or, you know, make any spoilers too early on, but we do know that from what she said in the book and also in the press that the Dream Within a Dream tour was her favorite tour she ever did. It's the tour she's most proud of, choreographed and directed by Wade Robson. We'll get to him later. So this photo on the inside of the cover is from you know that 2001 touring era and also my theory is that this uh cover image is from the same photo shoot or around the same time as the photo shoot was done for her britney album that came out in 2001 um the styling the bangs the black and white, just all of it. Everybody look at the cover art for the Britney 2001 album and then look at the book image and then you tell me what you think. But to tie this all together, to tie all the pictures together, my theory is that 2001 is sort of this really happy moment in her life, in her adult life, when she's kind of at the height of her fame, she's at the top of her game. This is also the year that she does the VMA performance with the snake. So just scientifically speaking, no one's ever looked better. I don't know. It it makes sense that she is kind of capturing this moment in time for the artwork of her memoir, I think. I absolutely love that and I 100% hope that that theory is correct I I'm going to choose to subscribe to that theory 
But also, more importantly, I am curious if from this point on in my life, can I just use pictures of myself from 2001? Yes, normalize it. Everyone, let's start using pictures from 20 years ago. Like, no big deal. Please, please let that be allowed. Actually, I'm just (laughs) moving forward. I'm changing my profile picture stat. (laughs) That's changed. Changed as we speak. Another thing I'm dying to know your thoughts about, what do you think about the Michelle Williams narration? It took me a minute to process when I heard the clip. And it's not the clip that, you know, we've all heard that's going around the internets right now. Um, it was much, it was a much less unassuming clip, but I, I don't know. I was really thrown off by it. And I think what threw me off is that she is talking from like, oh, in her lower register, she's kind of going in and out of an accent. And it just, to me, because Michelle Williams is an actress she really took this on. I felt like, I'm like, oh, she took this on. Like she is doing the role of her lifetime here. Like she went all in and I guess it, that just wasn't what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, but that was not what I thought I was going to hear. I think with the narration, I was expecting either a really straight read or something almost cartoonishly Southern. And instead, she gave us neither. It was just kind of in the middle. I wasn't expecting it, but I was also pleasantly surprised, and now I'm fully on board. When it was announced, like Michelle Williams, right? I don't know. For some reason, you just almost think like she's taking this on as like, I'm reading as a as a friend i think like uh, that's what i maybe expected her delivery to be was very like i'm britney's friend and i'm going to read this now who knows if they're actually friends um but that's kind of what i was expecting so the fact that she chose to embody her i was like okay i came here expecting that you know jen lindley from dawson's creek was going to be the one that was reading this girl next door And she went a totally different direction. Jen Lindley. And we love the, the nineties parallels here, right? It, it really does make sense. And that's what I was, that's kind of where I went in my head when I heard Michelle Williams. So yeah, very surprising. Um, I am going to have to listen to the entire thing. Of course, like that's mandatory listening. Who approved? Did did Britney sign off on it? Did her team sign off on it? And it's really kind of just this larger question that I think a lot of people have about the book, which is how much of this is her voice? How much of it is her ghostwriters? You know, 99% of celebrity memoirs are written with the help of a ghostwriter in some way. So I don't feel like that's controversial at all. What do you think, Erin? celebrities are you know they're song and dance people they're they're actors they're theatrical they are not writers and nor I don't think anyone is asking them to be writers I don't think any of us expect that so yeah I I mean I would assume 
and you know more because you've done the research and we haven't talked about it. So I'm, I'm dying to know, but I would, as I was reading it, assume that she did use a ghostwriter. Okay. You got to just, you got to tell me what you found out. Okay. Just a little side note. We do know that the ghostwriter has been identified as journalist slash author, Sam Lansky. This is a capital W writer. So um, I think that her, her team uh, was incredibly savvy in choosing this person to help really capture her essence, but also deliver it to us in a way that feels, you know, elegant to read, I think. I was actually really pleasantly surprised by just the tone of the book. I I think it's uh, pretty engaging and um, pretty pretty easy to read. So I, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Erin, just kind of like the tone and the voice and does it feel believable? Does it Does it feel like her? So uh, that's another thing that kind of as I'm reading has really distracted me. Uh, I'm constantly thinking in the back of my head, I want nothing more than to know what this writing process looked like. I want to know, was she sitting in the room with this person? I want to know, was she having phone calls? Was she sending text messages? Because there is a part of me that as I'm reading it, I feel like it, to me, it feels a little bit disjointed. Um, it kind of feels like the where they've decided to put chapters is kind of not important, like randomly picked out of thin air. It's, it is kind of, it jumps in and out and it's a little bit chaotic. And people have shared with me that they've kind of struggled to follow along with it because it is jumping around. Mm-hmm. And do you think that it was that it is somewhat, and I put that in air quotes, poorly written to make it sound more like she could actually have written this? Yes. Just from from what I've read, it seems like he has a pretty good handle on um, voice and character. And there's so much of her out in the press and so many interviews. We have so many clips of her talking to camera. Um, So I think that he probably took all of that and used his abilities to kind of make it sound like her. um, That's a nice way to put it. I love her so much. I love her so much. I don't want to make... (laughs) I know. But, but I do think that there there is there are things in there where, you know, her timing was unfucking believable. It's like, I believe that Brittany said that about her mom. <laughs> so there's little bits and pieces where I think, okay, this probably came through in a in a voice note or an email or a text message. There are things I believe are from her. What do you think? I think so far, I feel like this is all very, and for lack of a better term, I'm going to say delicate, but she's raw. She is, she has raw edges and I do feel like there is a piece of that that is missing, which that I think is what kind of makes me feel like how much of this is actually coming from her five minutes ago I had no idea that there that we had identified 
the ghostwriter. I have written down on my notes, if there is a ghostwriter, is it a man or a woman? So when you said the name Sam, I freaking lost it. Now, Sam could be a Samantha, but I'm assuming not. And a gay man. Okay. The plot thickens and also makes sense. Okay. So- oh my, you're blowing you're blowing my mind on so many levels right now. Because I thought I'm like, if she is this is the woman in me and it is being ghostwritten by a man, like that doesn't make me happy. Interesting. Yeah, in- interesting choices. And it will be interesting to see how the book comes together I do wonder if kind of this feeling of disjointedness or that kind of chaotic thing that you're getting from the way that the book is arranged or organized I wonder if that's in part intentional because so much of her story does feel so all over the place Um, so I wonder how much of that was an artistic choice Um, so I'm excited to to keep reading but in the meantime do you want to jump into the prologue let's do it okay the prologue is the only portion of the book that is narrated by Brittany if you have the audio version it takes up one page not a whole lot there but Erin what were your initial thoughts when when you read this prologue when you cracked the book open here we go Uh, I would say that my initial thought was, I really hope the rest of the book is not written like this. That is not to say that I don't like this. I just, I have a really hard time believing that current Brittany is saying things such as they had a rock garden full of soft pebbles that would trap the heat and stay warm in a way that felt so good against my skin. Like, come on, Britney Spears isn't saying that. But this, I was like, this feels very not on brand, Um, which is okay. She doesn't have to stay on brand. She um, actually read it at the beginning of the audio, like you just mentioned. And she read it so much differently than I read it. She kind like this part that I just like dramatically read, she kind of glossed over it. I believed it more when I heard her read it, but that's not how I read it, if that makes sense. What are your thoughts on it? Stop me if you disagree with any of this, but I think generally speaking, we are going to take this as her word because she put her name on it she's been promoting it through her social media which we're assuming she has control of um we know that there's been a ghostwriter which we would expect with most celebrity memoirs but we're just gonna assume this is her so that's what i'm gonna say right up front um i totally agree with you that there is not a lot here i said to myself, thank God I have an English degree from a small liberal arts university. And I can finally put this to good use by um, 
really pulling out some big themes here and making something from nothing. So this kind of just innate belief she has in herself where she says she can make her own way in life. She can make her dreams come true. From the time that she's a little girl, she just knows that she's going to, she's going to make it, whatever that means. But she's always, she's also escaping something too. And we're going to find out in quite literally the first chapter, uh, what that is. Uh, but I think that, yeah, this prologue is, is an interesting choice. Um, let's see if, let's see where some of these themes go. Okay. Chapter one, uh, she opens with some thoughts about what it means to grow up as a child in the South, that you just don't talk back to your parents, and then how important singing becomes to her. Um, it's both this spiritual thing and also a way for her to express herself when she can't talk back or she can't she can't find the words when she's talking to somebody. Singing is a way for her to, to communicate in a way that she can't otherwise. What did you think about this first part of, of chapter one, Erin? I messaged you after I read the first chapter and said, I, I know everything I need to know within the first chapter. Like, I felt like it did a really good job of outlining, I know, I know what happened. <laughs> you know, you get, you do get a sense of that. In the first, I will say this, in the first two pages, the word sing, sang, or sung is in the book over 15 times in the two first pages which shocked me I'm like there is so much talk of singing which is also it's surprising I mean and not that I think that she would immediately start talking about dance or whatever I just was so surprised at how prominent she feels that this is to her I absolutely thought she was going to talk about being a dancer first and a singer second. That was just my own assumption that was completely wrong because I was very, very surprised by how important singing was to her as like a first love and like her first step into this life as a performer. And then we get to the tragedy that runs in her family. So we hear this backstory about both sets of grandparents. She starts by uh, telling us about her father, Jamie's parents, her grandfather, June, and her grandmother, Emma Jean, or Jean, as she was called. Very long story short, it sounds as though Jean had some uh, mental health issues she didn't have the support that she needed. Um, and June sent her away to an institution, which eventually led to Jean taking her own life. So, Jean taking, so, so her, tragic. Jean taking her own life on the grave of her child who was passed at three days old. Yes. Um, wow. It's so, it's so sad that it's hard to talk about. Um, she mentions that her grandmother, Jean, wasn't the only wife 
that June sent to a mental hospital. He also sent his second wife there too. And this is important to note because Brittany's father, Jamie, goes on to imprison his daughter. Why? Maybe because he saw his father deciding that these women who didn't act the way that he thought they should be acting needed to be sent away or put in jail and controlled. I, I, I almost had to burn the book. Hello, podcast robot assistant here with one quick question. What was up with this mental institution? Were they just like, look, guys, Mr. Spears is back again. He sure has a tie. Shame on these people. Seriously. So, yes. So my first thought, I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't think that this woman had um, challenges with her mental health. Like, obviously she did. But that was the thing. I'm like, he put her there. Who's to say that she really did have something even wrong? Like, I just, that made me kind of question, okay, this is interesting. That could be the book. That could literally be the book. I know what I need to know. And by the way, I would have paid full price still just for that. One one hundred percent. Like I have goose, I have goosebumps right now. Like this explains everything. You're like, well, no wonder. No wonder this is what's going on. And and I do believe that Gene was experiencing mental health problems and probably postpartum depression she 100 had postpartum depression and she was in the throes of grief like this is so common unfortunately um and it just seems to me like it clearly wasn't handled correctly which again started this butterfly effect of the poor handling of that situation continuing on for generation it was interesting to me that she tells this story about june and jean and kind of uses it as a framing device to explain why her father jamie is just an absolute demon and as she explains it and explains his alcoholism and the way he pushes his kids to a really unhealthy point, um, she still has so much empathy for him in the way that she talks about him when she could really just drag him to filth if she wanted to. And also in the way that she talks about her grandfather, June, about the way that he softens as he gets older, I was just shocked. Um, and surprised again and again in this book by how much grace she has for people, even when they arguably don't really deserve it. So. All right, Casey. So we just talked about June and Jean, but I know that you have quite a lot of thoughts about the next set of grandparents. Please. I'm dying to know what is on your mind about Lynn's parents. Lynn. We'll get to her. Brittany gives us the story of her maternal grandparents, Lily and Barney. They basically 
uh, meet during World War II while Barney is overseas. Lily is originally from London, uh, apparently from a pretty posh family. And then they get married and Barney brings her home to rural Louisiana. And Lily is devastated. Well, maybe not devastated, but surprised. Maybe that's the nicer way of putting it. I think um, she's I think she's bored AF. <laughs> Do you watch 90 Day Fiance? I don't. Okay. All two of you out there who are listening might watch 90 Day Fiance. And if you don't, in a nutshell, it's basically this story that plays out over and over again where two people meet and then they move to one person's country and the person who moves is incredibly disappointed <laughs> for all kinds of different reasons. And I couldn't help but think about that show as I was reading this part of the book because it just sounds like this is a city gal from foggy London town. And then here she is in rural Louisiana cooking and cleaning and bored out of her mind and milking cows. And my heart was just breaking for her. And the worst part of this whole thing is when we're told that Barney didn't want to let Lily go back to London because he thought that if she went, she wouldn't come home. So in a weird way, we're seeing this thing play out again where this man is imprisoning and controlling his wife or the women in his life. And I, this was the point in the chapter where I almost burned it a second time. What did you think, <laughs> Oh, I'm so on board with what you're saying. So like the genes are strong and this is all so embedded within her DNA. It's embedded within her parents' DNA. Um, her parents watched these two sets of grandparents behave and act in certain manners, which again, butterfly effect affects the way that they move on and yes the theme is there but also the fact that her great-grandmother wore pristine makeup and a red lip like that's a that's a showgirl thing right like Brittany might have picked up on that the mental health issues the men controlling the women all of these things her grandpa uh Barney loved to drive fast well, where have we seen that? Brittany is notorious for loving her car and for driving recklessly. So yes, accidents come up a lot in the book. I was surprised by how many car accidents are casually mentioned. So we'll talk more about that too. Hopefully that's not foreshadowing. I was wondering if you picked up on this and maybe I'm reading between the lines here. But on page nine, when she's describing what her mother was like in high school, <gasps> she describes her as a gorgeous teenager. She wears the highest boots and the tiniest skirts. I quote, she hung out with the gay guys in town who gave her rides on their motorcycles. And then she goes on to talk about how she met, how the mom met the dad and blah, blah, blah. But I thought, 
What an interesting detail to include, given the fact that her mom was a teenager in the 70s in rural Louisiana. One last question. For realsies, were gay guys even legally allowed to be in the rural South in the 70s? I'm not joking. And Brittany goes on to become one of the biggest gay icons in the universe. How interesting. I wonder if that was like a little nod in some way or I, I don't know. What did you think about that? Did you did you highlight that too? Well, I just was like, okay, again, the genetics, like mother, like daughter. Like <laughs> that's what I, uh, that is what came out of my brain. I'm like, of course she did. Of course she wore tall boots and short skirts and hung out with the gays. Like <laughs> would, what would we expect anything different? Like it's called genetics. Honey, <laughs> I just, I, I had the same, I'm like, okay, okay. Of it's, course. Again, it's all this first chapter, one chapter to me explains more than any of the rest of what I've read could possibly explain. Yeah. This is the thesis statement. This chapter is the thesis statement. And then we're going to see all of the supporting evidence in all of the chapters that, that come after this. So we're so excited. Goosebumps, chills. Goosebumps. I love, like, I just, I can't, I love it. I love every second of this. And that wraps up our first episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram where you can join in on the conversation and let us know all of your thoughts on the memoir. We would love to hear from you. Our handle is at that Brittany podcast until next time. Happy reading.